You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning. Confession is good for the soul. How many of you are still in a food coma? You know, I'm a, uh, um, I am a uh, eat to live kind of guy, all right? Some of you in that building or in the house today are an eat to live kind of, or live to eat kind of people, right? Like you are looking forward to your next meal, you're, you're what we call foodies. I don't find myself, now I have my other things that I live for, right? But foods, I just kind of eat to live, except for Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, man, for two or three, I get it. I get the foodie thing. Like for two or three weeks up until that dinner, I am just, I'm looking forward to it. I'm anticipating it. I can't wait. And then just like the whole weekend of leftovers and going back for more. And I remember going to Israel. I'm getting off track here, but I remember going to Israel and, um, we go to these these uh, like Roman theaters, these uh, amphitheater type things, and where they had their celebrations, their parties. And I remember being attracted to these things at the top, where they were like um, uh, well type things. And I was asking the guy, "What's that?" And he said, "Oh, that that's what the Romans used to do. They used to they would eat so much that they'd make themselves." They love to eat so much that they would eat until they make themselves vomit in there, and they go back for more. That did not sound like fun to me, but evidently it was at some point. And maybe, maybe foodies in the room are like, yeah, that's great. Like, duh. Not for me, but maybe Thanksgiving. So, you know, you have an excuse today. If you nod off a little bit, I won't hold it against you because I understand the whole food coma thing this morning. But I want to start today and, and into this, this Advent series we have uh, just stealing a couple lines from a movie called The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games are not really my genre, my thing, but I watched them. And, um, and uh, I remember being intrigued by this whole futuristic society type thing and, and this idea of uh, people being held captive and yet every year they're given a chance through these games. One person uh, can, can, can flee that and can overcome that. And, and I remember in that movie, the, the person that directed these games where it was fight to the death, one person survives, is asking the um, President Snow, who's over the empire, why they do that. And he, he shares that, listen, if you give some people something to look forward to, to anticipate, to hope in, um, it changes a lot of things. And he uses this phrase, and this one I'm stealing from this movie for you to think about today, hope. Hope is why we do these games. It's the only, it's, it's one thing that is stronger than fear. I love this. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. It doesn't take a popular movie for us to understand, though, the magnitude of, of hope. It's amazing what happens to us when we're given hope. Uh, it, it's also a terrible thing when we lose hope. I remember uh, reading uh, this book, uh, Hope is Contagious, by former uh, football player Ken Hutcherson. Uh, it's a book about his own personal journey with facing terminal illness through cancer. And, and he, he shares in that book a story out of 
out of Chicago. It was this news story that uh, was about a little boy in Chicago who was shot and permanently disabled by a, in a drive-by shooting. Um, and he wrote in that book, that fact alone is awful enough. But he said this, the reporter went on to say that everyone in the neighborhood knew who the shooter was, but no one would come forward. In fact, in that news story, it was written, the boy's mother even acknowledged that she drove by the shooter's house every day on the way to work. But what was amazing about that story as he continued to write, he interviewed an educator from Chicago who was in the middle of all that, and this is what that educator said. This is what happens when people lose hope. You don't think things will get better, nothing will be done about it, so you just give up. Hope is a powerful thing in our lives. In fact, the scriptures say three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. I was attracted to Romans chapter 15 a number of years ago, and this verse just... I've never forgot it. In fact, as I was thinking about speaking about hope today, I was reminded of this verse again to share that Paul writes, for, in every, for everything that was written in the past, so the scriptures, it was written to teach us, okay? So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope the very purpose for the scriptures being written, this life-giving word of God, Paul says, is that it's to give us hope, to give us hope. I would say that, you know, if human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, it's probably true that we don't really truly live if we go four seconds without hope. In fact, some linguists suggest that the word hope shares etymological roots with the word hop, conveying that to hope in something or for something is to leap in expectation, to hop toward possibility. But what seems to have happened is the word hope has been co-opted in our day, in our time, in our culture, and it's passive now. It's, it's kind of been neutered from its intended action-oriented nature. Instead, it's more passive where we just hope that the lines aren't too long, we hope for a good diagnosis, we hope everything will work out. In fact, maybe it could be said that hope and the way that's so often understood today is thought of a grown-up version of wishing. That is why when our hopes seem a little bit too outlandish, we may call them wishful thinking. But my intent today is rem to remind you about what the scriptures, in particular the Advent story, is communicating to us about this idea of hope, biblical hope. Christian hope. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It is an expectant leap forward. We take action. We live in motion. Hope, so often thought 
of coming from so many different places, is it not? Uh, our, our culture would tell us that your life will be hopeful if you have external success, rewards, fame, wealth. And we've realized now that that's proved pretty futile. People that achieve those things still experiencing immense amount of hopelessness. For others, hope comes maybe in a person or a group of people. And unfortunately, that has proved to be painful and disappointing all the time. Our politicians run on slogans of hope, don't they? I remember in my lifetime, I think it was 15 years ago, uh, one of our presidential candidates ran on the platform of hope and change, right? You remember that? Hope and change, a promise of hope. 15 years later, how's that working out for us? You can laugh. There's no political. It's just, we, we, we do. So often we, we hope in political platforms or political movements and we're just left disappointed, sometimes with pain. Hope is actually not as it is often thought of as just optimism. Um, in fact, in psychology circles, there's actually a syndrome called false hope syndrome. Um, I think I have that with Iowa football. <laughs> just get up enough and then... Pff. False hope syndrome involves repeatedly believing in unrealistic expectations. And we, we think that if we can make ourselves feel hopeful, um, that we can push ourselves over the edge being uh, optimistic and it empowers us. But what so often happens is uh, overconfidence happens from feelings you can control and then reality happens when things you can't control and it just, it shatters. Don't get me wrong, I like to be around optimistic people, don't you? I, I, I try to be optimistic, there's something to that. But I also know that hope is not just a sense of optimism. I read this week, I thought this was so true as a parent. No one is full of more false hope than a parent with a new chore chart. <laughs> Amen? I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, that is exactly right. How many times have we sat down, planned it out, charted it out, nice little sticky thing, put it on the refrigerator. Hey, Keegan, this is your deal. Sage, this is your deal. And guess what? We even offer incentives only for it to sit blank two weeks later. It's a false hope. So those of you that are coming up behind me, just don't even go there. Doesn't work. I wanna frame our, the way we think about hope, though, in these three words this morning before we move into the story. Often what we encounter is wishful hope. Our world is full of wishful hope. When people buy a lottery ticket... There's hope involved, right? Even though the odds most of the time of you winning the lottery are greater than you being struck by lightning. And yet every day, millions of people walk into convenience stores, grocery stores, and buy a ticket. It's a wishful hope, is it not? There's hope there, 
but it's wishful in nature. I mean, it's kind of like me in high school, kind of not being willing to put in the time to study for the test, but walking in to the exam room and thinking that I'm going to, ex- to, to, to ex- uh, do excellent in the exam, right? It's kind of a wishful hope. Or it might be the wishful hope of the Browns winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> Amen? When we say we hope something happens, we're saying we wish an uncertain thing would happen. We know there's no guarantee. I hope that the Browns win the Super Bowl really means I wish the Browns would win the Super Bowl, but I really have no way of knowing if it'll ever happen or not. Very unlikely. (laughs) Somebody told me after first service, like, I'm just wishful they win today's game, let alone the Super Bowl. Wishful hope, so much of the hope that exists in our world is is wishful in nature. Maybe you don't live there too much. Maybe you've moved past that. I, I admitted in first service that I have paused in front of the red letters of the lotto thing and looked at the numbers and when it says 350 million, I have had a moment of like temptation to say, well, I might as well give it a try. You guys can't believe I'm admitting that, can you? But I don't, because I've moved past that, I think. I'm a little more mature than that and realize that's just wishful hope. I'm not gonna do that. That's not good stewardship. I don't buy lottery tickets, hello. That's the t- hashtag leaving here. Pastor doesn't buy lights, but like I have been tempted, but I, I know. But uh, you know, where maybe I struggle and a lot of us do is in this word of expectant hope. Expectant hope is if I go out with tomato seeds in the spring and I plant them, I am expectantly hopeful that in a little while's time, what's going to happen? Tomato plants are going to come up, right? I'm hopeful. Now, I did something about it, and yet I'm I'm hopeful that because of what I did, it's actually going to happen. We use terms like, couples use these terms like, I'm expecting when we become pregnant because there's a reason for hope because of the baby that's begun to grow. Remember the commercials for uh, What's Your Number, the retirement commercials a few years ago? Uh, People walk around with little bubbles above their head and like, what's your number? What do you need to retire? Is it 800,000? And somebody else would be like, well, I need 2.1 million to retire. And that was the whole thing. Like, what's your number? Trying to make you think about what is it you think that you need to earn and then save to retire comfortably? And expectant hope says that if I earn and I save and I'm wise with my money, that I will then live comfortably in retirement. But the problem is expectant hope at times, even though the seeds have been planted, the pregnancy has happened, the money has been earned and saved, there really is no guarantee though, is there? Some of you have planted and lost a garden, right? Because of circumstances, of of weather, of sun, of bad soil, of so many other things. What you expected to have happen didn't happen, even though you moved to that end. Or maybe you've been like Nicole and I, and you've walked through expecting and then the miscarriage. And you and I both know that we earn and save and we plan for retirement, 
But there's no guarantee with that, right? Anybody else watch the last year in the stock market? Or we exercise, we treat our body right, we try to be healthy, and yet we all know that even sometimes the most healthy among us get a diagnosis. And so expectant hope is probably a place where we live a lot, but is it really a good hope to place the foundation of your life on? I would submit to you that the scriptures actually teach us that we are to be people not of wishful hope or expectant hope, but of this certain hope. Certain hope is a hope that's not deceived by the world's promises of comfort and ease, all the while waiting anxiously for the other shoe to drop. You ever been there? Like, you're living into like, okay, so it's, everything's going good, but the whole time you're waiting for something to go. Anybody else like that? Man, that's like me all the time. In fact, I almost hate it when things are going good. I shouldn't say that. That's a little extreme. But I do, when things are going good, I'm always waiting for something to go bad. Am I the only one in the room like that? Man, I am weird. Right? Certain hope, though, uh, Christian hope settles into the struggle of human experience, but with a certain sense of strength and resolve. Christian hope, certain hope, it, it, doesn't exhort, it doesn't ignore fear, anxiety, doubt. It actually confronts them. Hope in the scriptures is different. Hope in the scriptures is living on a, it's a not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. In fact, when faith is explained to us in the scriptures in Hebrews, one of the ways it's explained is faith is characterized as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. That's why in Hebrews chapter six, as the writer's trying to help us understand this certain hope, he says this, so God has given us both his promise and his oath God did this so that by these two unchangeable things in which is impossible for God to lie, that in these two things, the promise and the oath of God, we have fled to take hold of the hope that is set before us. You see, it's teaching us that hope is only as good as its object, right? The lottery system doesn't offer me a lot of hope. The object of it is slim chance of winning. Expectant hope offers me certain things, but it doesn't offer a guarantee. But, or I mean expectant hope, but certain hope because the object is God himself then this becomes certain in my life. That's why he writes in Hebrews chapter six, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Paul would later write in Romans in chapter 15 that actually it's the God of hope. This is a new designation for God in the scriptures, but it teaches us that actually God himself, he is the ground of hope. Hope comes, he is hope himself. And that when you are connected to him who is hope, 
Out of that, then he is the source of hope through the person of the Holy Spirit. He may fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to think about hope in that way. Wishful, expectant, or certain. That brings me to the text this morning, Luke chapter one. Obviously, the gospels are introducing to us the advent of Jesus Christ, the the coming into our world, what we celebrate in this season. It's interesting how all of them take a different approach with helping us to to get to that point, to, to grab a hold of who Jesus is, what is happening, this incarnation of Christ. And it's interesting that Luke takes this approach as he introduces Advent. If you understand the context Uh, the Old Testament ends, and I'm gonna be honest, if you've read the last words of the Old Testament, it's a little confusing, it's a little cryptic, it's a little disturbing, to be honest. There's been all these promises, and then he shuts it down, and then God's silent. And you're left coming out of the last words of the Old Testament, hanging, wondering, waiting, what is gonna happen? And then for 400 years, there's nothing from God. I mean, generation after generation lives in that 400 year period where they are looking every day for the Messiah. They're passing on to their children this hope that's in the Messiah. And yet even though they lived as that day could be the day, God is silent and active and he's quiet. I mean, these were people that had sprung up based on the promise of God to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless the whole world through you, right? This was their identity. This is how they saw the world and their whole reason for existence. And now that very God who promised them that is silent. I mean, they've watched their nation form and Jacob and Joseph and to David and they watched them become a kingdom. And it's like, all right, here we go. We're on our way. And you got Saul and David and then Solomon. And now you really are a world power. And man, this could really happen. God's people could bless the rest of the world. And then after Solomon, things just fall apart and the kingdom divides and they They are held captive and changed hands over 25 times. Persians, Babylonians, Syrians, Greeks, Romans, they're just exiled. They have no army to speak of. And their identity becomes less and less and less hopeful to the point where many of them thought that the world will be blessed through us. That's absurd. In fact, they watched as the Roman general Pompey walked into their holy of holies and nothing happens to him. And so many Jews began in that day to to just lose hope, turn away. There's no way we could ever be a player in world events. And it's into that context that Luke writes and introduces the story of the advent of Jesus Christ. He begins, I think, in this way on purpose through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit who inspired him. He begins with a certain person named Zechariah. We read in Luke chapter one, verse five, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. 
He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So we're introduced to this guy who, when you think about the fact that he has lived now, uh, seeing God be silent for 400 years, who still believes and goes into the priesthood, even marries another PK. Like Elizabeth was the, from the descendant of Aaron. They're all in on the God thing, right? They're all in on, I don't care if God's been silent and the rest of our culture around us is like losing hope. We're still gonna hold on, man. We're still gonna offer sacrifices. We're still gonna call the people to believe in this God. That's who these people are. That's who we're introduced to. I mean, there's about 18,000 of them at this time in that culture. And in fact, we read this, that not only is there vocation uh, for, for the priesthood, they believe, but both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. What a guy. What a way to start the story. <laughs> but yet... Luke continues to introduce us to him a little bit more and we read this. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And your respect and admiration for Zacharias should only grow at this point. In that culture, children were the pinnacle sign of God's blessing. And this guy who in a hopeless world continues to hold on has to then endure this non-blessing. Is that a word? Non-blessing? Brad's the word guy. I don't know if that's a word it is today. Non-blessing from God. Like, the shame, the confusion that he lived with every day, no doubt that, look, I've, we've given our lives to God. We serve God. I mean, we're righteous in the way we live, and yet God chooses not to bless us with children. Um, this, is, this is an amazing person who continues to be hopeful, surrounded by hopelessness. We read that once that Zachariah's division or his group of priests were, were on duty, so they came to the temple to serve and he was serving as a priest before God and then he was chosen by this casting of lots thing that they did according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. This was like, in his profession, this was the pinnacle achievement. Like he has reached the pinnacle of his profession. And so finally, for a guy who's faithful and is surrounded by hopelessness of the, the culture, his country, his own personal life, it's like, wow, finally something good happened to this guy. You know, daddy's like, finally, I catch a break. I mean, thousands of guys would never get to do this. Didn't happen very much. And like he was honored to go in there. And he goes in and we read 
that he would have known what to do and he's talked to the other priests and they've practiced the ritual and he's ready to roll. He knows exactly what to do when he goes in and we read in the next verse that when he goes in, (laughs) an angel of the Lord is standing there. Now he knows this is not what normally happens. And what happens when you see an angel of the Lord all the time in scripture? You're scared to death. And no doubt Zachariah's probably thinking, great. It's like the carrot. Like, I've endured, I've endured, I finally get something good, I walk in, and now there's an angel of the Lord standing there, and I'm gonna die. The angel responds this way, do not be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. You know how the story goes, don't you? That evidently the hopelessness that Zachariah was surrounded by from his culture, his country, his personal life, his circumstance, is that when the angel told him, he didn't believe. Like, yeah, right. And yet the angel said, Zachariah, This is going to happen. And honestly, because you didn't believe, the Lord is gonna shut your mouth and you're not gonna be able to speak. And you know the story goes that Zechariah couldn't speak all the time that uh, John the Baptist was conceived and growing in Elizabeth's womb. John was silent, he couldn't speak. I mean, think about the circumstances now. This guy who has persevered in hope, though is surrounded by hopelessness, has this moment of like where it overwhelms him. At the same time, he is getting to experience being the father of the greatest man who ever lived. Did you know that? I don't know what aspirations you have for your kids. I have some for mine. Sometimes they don't like those, amen? But guess what? If your aspiration is to have the greatest person to ever live, you've already lost. Because the scriptures say that there has been no one greater, there will be no one greater than John the Baptist. Think about the circumstances of this guy's life and, and what he hopes in and what, I mean, he shows hope, there's expectant hope, and then in a moment when God speaks, he, he allows himself to not trust in this, are you kidding me? I'm old, nothing says this is gonna happen. I've faced it every day, we're barren, we're childless, we're 80, uh, God has not come through for us, we're not blessed, all these things. And in that moment, he just doesn't believe it's gonna happen. I says, well, it's gonna happen and I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna do this to you because you didn't believe. And you remember though that there comes this moment when John is born and Zachariah is able to witness when God says something, declares something, there is nothing that's gonna stop it from happening. And it's like it all clicks for John and they ask him, what do you want to name him? And he says, John. And it's like everything breaks free when he believes in the purpose and plan of God. 
In fact, he would write later in chapter one, he would write, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, he has has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You see, it's, it's when Zechariah was able to hope in the certain that he saw what God was doing. He believed. And I want to remind you that this season of all the things that it is, it should be a reminder that we can live with a certain hope. Not wishful, not even expectant. Those things, they're not guaranteed. They pass away. But the certain hope of God is that when God speaks, when God declares, when God gives his word, it is certain. And you can trust in it and you can place all of your hope on it. That's why Galatians chapter four is so in, uh, important for us to understand because in understanding this period of time that Zechariah was living in, Paul says this, that when the set time, when the set time, when the appointed time, God had an appointed set time, had fully come, God sent his son into the world, born of a woman. You see, while they thought things were silent, God was uncaring, unmoved, all the while God was perfectly preparing If you look at the history of the world, it's amazing how these words in Galatians are so at the appointed set time that while it seemed like God was not speaking to his people, he was moving behind the scenes. The Roman Empire opened the world up for the gospel. There was one empire at that time so that when Jesus came, lived, taught, died, rose again, sent the Holy Spirit into the believer's life, that the way that it could go into all the world, it was the perfect time. There was one empire. The Greeks had had influenced the whole empire so much that they spoke a language, the Greek language that was transferable all through the kingdom. God knew exactly when to come, right when the world was pregnant to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Romans ruled with such a a kind of iron fist that there was the Pax Romana, the peace of, of Rome over the world. And so in that time, the missionaries of Jesus Christ could just go throughout the world, traveling on these great roads. You see, when, when, when you thought God was, when they thought God was silent, God was actually preparing the world exactly for the perfect time for him to come. I want to remind you that Advent gives us the certainty of hope. Because the God who does this in this way perfectly comes into the world at the perfect time in the perfect way is the God who continues to say things to his children. And his word 
promises us. God's not forgotten you. God will not forsake you. God knows the way that you need to take. God is not overwhelmed by your certain situation. He doesn't look at you. All these things that the word promise, right? Well, because it's him who promises, the faithful one, the certain one, this becomes the hope that we can have that never, never fails. Amen? You know, in this season, I hope you remember that. I hope in a world that's increasingly uncertain, and I hate to say that as a 43-year-old man, I sound like a doomsdayer. I'm not, but I mean, it's pretty shifting, isn't it? Things are, it's changing faster than it's ever changed. Like, and there's a lot of things to hope in or try to hope in or want to hope in. Help this season be the thing that reminds you that the God who promises, who speaks in his word, that's the certain thing I can hope in above everything else. I will not allow my hope to rest in things that are wishful or even expectant. I will rest only in the certain word and plan of God. And Advent reminds us of a God who is certain. Father, I pray today that as we go, I pray that we would be filled with hope. We would be people of hope that we would be so hopeful that maybe we were even annoying to people. (laughs) But it's based on something that is not circumstantial. It's not based on something that is um, a plan in place or a a people or an organization or a, a, a level of success or any of those things. It's based on one thing, the certain word of God. And yet, when you speak, it's true We can hold fast to it. It becomes the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Lord, all around us, people are hoping in a lot of things and they're being disappointed. May our hope in you reveal to them how faithful and how good you are, how true you are, how firm and secure your word is. Lord, I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. And if you guys will say amen, we can get out of here. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.